1420 WBSM presents Ray Lance of the USA Wealth Group. It's time to get your finances in order. MoneyWise starts now. Good Sunday morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to MoneyWise, brought to you every Sunday morning by USA Wealth Group. I have to confess that few things in New Bedford have really excited me as much as my recent visit to the Panorama and the Kilbourne Mill put on display by the New Bedford Whaling Museum. We're going to talk about the panorama today, and it's called the Grand Panorama of a Whaling Voyage Round the World. So put your hats on, fasten your belts, stay tuned, because we're going to be talking about the panorama and why I believe that everybody in New Bedford should make a visit to the Kilbourne Mill, and you don't have a long time to do it. You've only got about another five weeks to do this because it closes the first week in October. It's, I think, October 6th. Well, welcome to Attorney Tenny Lentz this morning. Good morning, Tenny. Good morning, everyone. Tenny is my favorite companion. Tenny practices law and does mostly estate planning, and she does a lot of work in nursing home planning, protecting people's assets from nursing homes. And she's located at 352 Fonts Corner Road. So, Tenny, you have a lot of history in New Bedford, don't you? You have a love affair with the city of New Bedford. I do love New Bedford. I've loved it ever since I sort of discovered it back in the 70s. Um, I was born in New Bedford, but then my family moved to the Worcester area. And then my parents retired back to the New Bedford area in 1960s. So I knew nothing about New Bedford until I started coming down here uh, in the middle of college and so forth. So I just absolutely love the history of New Bedford, the architecture, the people, everything. Well, this morning, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to depart from our usual model about talking about financial subjects and talking about retirement planning and things of that nature because today we're going to talk about the spectacle in motion in New Bedford, which is called the Grand Panorama of a Whaling Voyage Around the World. If you haven't seen it, you have to see this. If you do nothing more in the next month, you must get down to the Kilbourne Mill. It's at 127 West Rodney French Boulevard, and it's free. And if you want to be proud about New Bedford, if you want to be proud about some of your own heritage, whether you're Yankee or Portuguese or whatever your background is, you've got to see this exhibit. We're especially pleased this morning to have with us as a guest Michael P. Dyer, D-Y-E-R. Michael is the curator of maritime history at the New Bedford Whaling Museum in the Old Dartmouth Historical Society. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Michael, do you prefer to be called Michael or Mike? Michael's fine. Michael's fine. Okay. We're going to call you Michael today. So, Michael, you've had a very large role in helping to assemble this. We were talking just a little bit before the show this morning, and we're going to talk in a few minutes about what the panorama is. Um, it's, it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. I've been to museums around the world. Uh, this is spectacular. It gives you goosebumps as you walk around and look at this. It's amazing. So you just were telling me that one of the most difficult things that you had was figuring out how to hang it. And you spent months and months and months in planning on how to put this thing up because it's pretty big, isn't it? It sure is. There are four rolls, and each roll is about 300 feet long and eight and a half feet high. Uh, fortunately, the, the painting is on 
cotton sheeting. Uh, and so the, it's not particularly heavy, uh, but it is 150 years old, and it traveled, you know, all over the country as a as a uh, as a as a traveling spectacle, as a as a, uh, uh, a a place where people would go for entertainment, and, and, and it traveled by steamboat, and it traveled by you know locomotive in the in the 19th century when these when these technologies were relatively fresh, uh, and you know it took a beating over the years, and then it sat in storage uh up in the corner of purchase and william street for, I, was, I was wondering where it was stored for an unknown number of years we don't know how it got there or mm. or uh, much about the the owner of the of the, of the panorama at the time which was it was a the local grocer benjamin cummings and uh, cummings donated uh, the painting and another panorama we have two panoramas we have a charles Sidney raleigh panorama of the voyage of the of the uh, ship Niger on a sperm whaling voyage to the North Atlantic. So we have two of these panoramas. The, the, the Raleigh one's smaller. Um, I, did, I did not know that you had a second panorama. But this panorama is amazing because it's 1,275 feet long, and that's longer than the Empire State Building is tall, which is incredible. And it's, uh, it's uh, eight and a half feet tall. So when you go to the Kilbourne Mill down on Rodney French Boulevard, and there are signs down there, you can't miss it. Um, it's just on the inside of the Hurricane Dyke when you go down there, if you want to know where the Kilburn Mill is. Um, it's on display in the top floor. There's an elevator that will take you up there. There's free parking, free admission. It's eight and a half feet tall, 1,275 feet long. And I guess when the panorama was first displayed, we'll come back to talk about the artists in a few minutes and who created this thing. It was before we had movies in this country, wasn't it? Oh heavens, yes! Long, long before this is this is public entertainment, mm-hmm. you know, pre-motion picture. Just so, about pre. It was also just about pre-photography, for that matter. I mean, the daguerreotype had only really been you know, used used regularly uh, in in the eighteen forties. So you know, this this kind of uh, this kind of entertainment was uh, was regular in many in many cities, towns, mm-hmm. and they had packed audiences. So what would happen is. Whatever the scene was, whatever the display was, would be put on cotton material or something like that, and, or canvas, I suppose, could be too. But then it would be rolled on two big spools, and the audience would sit and watch this, the panorama go rolling by them and tell a story. <laughs> you know, one thing I've been very curious about, and I haven't uh, really read in depth about it yet, when the panorama was being displayed, was there somebody who was narrating and telling a story of what the people were looking at? Yes, there was a narrator. I figured there must have been. So that would be a good job for me, Tenny. <laughs> yes, because you really do have a wonderful voice. Well, but not Michael, so much that. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, is, do we have scripts of what they said? We do not have a script uh, for this panorama. Hmm. I've written the script for this yeah. panorama. Yeah, yes, I Uh, My impression of this was that it was a remarkable exhibit and absolutely professionally done. The explanations that are all uh, scattered around the the upper floor to explain what you're looking at, the map of the voyages, uh, it's just amazing. This was primarily what ship uh, that... 
Oh, there, it's, it's not primarily any ship. So that's that's an interesting feature of it. It's the fleet. You know, you have 300 Yankee whalers registered in New Bedford out of a national fleet of over 600. So it was uh, it was it, he gave the sense of the of the size and dimensions of the Yankee whale fisher in the 1840s. It was a big deal. And um, Charles W. Morgan owned. I, I've read this at the exhibition, but I'm going to forget a lot of it, and you can fill me in. Morgan owned several ships. Yeah, I think he owned. I think he owned six or seven. And so. uh, there was a description of his impression of this, and it, uh, he was amazed at it as well. He really liked it. Yeah, <laughs> I get a kick out of Samuel Rodman's uh, Im- impression of the panorama, which was essentially that he didn't think the painting was very good. And by the way, Ben, where's the money you owe me? It's really, <laughs> tr- really <laughs> it's kind of funny when you read that quote. The old if you read between the lines, you know, <laughs> the painting is okay, but Ben, you know, we're, I hope you make some money because you, you, you owe me some money. But that's what it was done for, wasn't it? I think so. I think, you know, there's so, we don't have all the facts. uh, And it had to be, Benjamin Russell did owe people money. Uh, No two ways about it. The the banking crisis of the the 1830s, the Jackson era banking crisis, hit the Russell family and many others in New Bedford very hard. So he did owe money. Uh, He went on a whaling voyage. Uh, It said in his obituary that he went specifically to create art. So he had an eye on becoming the whaling artist of New Bedford. So he must have sketched all of these ports that he went into because you could never, back in the 1840s or whatever, uh, remember all of them. He oh, did. Oh, yeah, he, did. He, he, he kept a sketchbook. And, and, you know, one of the fascinating things about doing the work on the panorama given the depth of other Benjamin Russell collections that we have of his paintings and prints, is that we can begin to piece together what was likely in that sketchbook. Mm -hmm. So what is the panorama, ladies and gentlemen? The panorama is simply the largest piece of artwork in America, and it's in New Bedford. And you must see this. This is a must-see thing. Tenny and I went this past weekend, and we had planned to go for a few weeks, and we went and said, well, let's just do a quick tour through here because we don't have a lot of time today, and we'll come back and do it again in more detail. And we do plan to do that. But we I ended hope. up spending about an hour and a half going through it, didn't we, Tenny? Yes. Yeah, I do hope we can get back because it is amazing. Um, there's there's so much information at the display that you have to sort of pick and choose what you read and what you pay attention to. People were stopped at one of the display areas, pointing out all kinds of things, and then other people were sort of strolling along. So you can take your time or or spend a long time there. Well, I want to come back for just a moment and and talk about you, Michael Dyer. And you probably don't want this a lot of information about you, but I'm going to give the public some information about you anyway. Um, Michael, as I said, is the curator of maritime history at the New Bedford Whaling Museum. He's also the author of a very special book. It's called Or the Wide in Trackless Sea, Original Art of the Yankee Whale Hunt. And that book uh, debuted, I guess, last year sometime. And Tandy and I both happened to go to the museum that day because we saw that the book was coming out and that you were going to be there to sign the book. 
and we actually purchased two copies of Thank the book. Thank you very much. The book is spectacular. It's not just coffee table art. Uh, this is a book that really illustrates the history of uh, whale ships, and, and it's fascinating. And uh, I'm looking forward to finding it again when we empty all our 50 boxes of books that we <laughs> just moved. Well, we moved recently, <laughs> so we're assembling bookcases and unpacking boxes of books. I actually looked a little bit this morning to see if I could find it. It's still in a box safely somewhere, Michael. That book uh, was recently awarded a, a, a scholarship award from Mystic Seaport for a major contribution to maritime history. It's oh, e- wonderful. It's extremely professional. And I assume you can buy that at the Whaling Museum yes. itself? Yes, you can. Good. Um, Michael, by the way, is a graduate in American history from uh, York College in Pennsylvania. He holds a Master of Arts in American Studies from Penn State in Harrisburg. He has studied at the Mystic Seaport, um, and he was the inaugural USA Gallery Fellow at the Australia National Maritime Museum in 2008. He has a long history of working as curator in um, the Kendall Whaling Museum in Sharon, Massachusetts, and he's a scholar, he's a gentleman, and he's fun. And I said so much about him that he just put his hat back on. (laughs) Sorry. Don't mean to embarrass you. You've got the hat. That proves it. (laughs) Australian National Maritime Museum. But we're really pleased to have him here, and... um, I met Michael for the first time, and he met a lot of people that day. We we went and bought a couple of books. Um, our daughter is married to somebody. I'm not going to mention the name. And uh, he has a great great grandfather. I think might be a great 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 grandfather who was a whaling captain out of New Bedford on one of the whale ships. So and a relatively famous whaling master at that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the family name is Hawes, by the way, H A W E S. And um, and his ship was the Milo, I believe, and they've got a picture of it in their living room. So um, he's very excited about being a, a member of the Whaling Captain's Organization. Descendants of Whaling Masters. Yes. I wonder if that's a Benjamin Russell portrait of the Milo. I don't know. It could be. Yeah. Well, anyways, it's fascinating. But a, a couple of things really struck me when I saw the panorama at the Kilbourne Mill. Um, first, I was impressed with the immensity of this i'm going to call it a tapestry it's not really a tapestry but it's it's a panorama uh it's beautiful it's gorgeous you can walk through it quickly you can walk through it slowly you're going to be fascinating and it starts out with the downtown a waterfront view of downtown new bedford looking at the buildings and as you walk down there you're going to recognize a lot of the buildings in downtown new bedford and then gradually it leads you out of the harbor and then it has a few dark ocean scenes, and then it takes you over to the Azores as the first stop. So I wonder how many people who may have relatives in the Azores or who have come themselves from the Azores realize that this wonderful panorama is on exhibition um, right down in Rodney French Boulevard. And you'll see some beautiful depictions of a number of the islands in the Azores. You'll see a lot of the buildings. You'll recognize a lot of the buildings. You really need to go see this. Um, when is the last time this was on display? Do you know, Michael, or do you 1961, know, 1961 in its entirety. In its entirety. And it's hard to find a large space where you can put it, yes, isn't it? Yes, it's very, very hard. So, How did you come upon the Kilburn Mill? 
what ha- what happened there was as you may recall in the winter and early spring there was quite a bit of uh, local press about about the panorama and one of the one of the I'm not sure if this fellow is an owner of the mill but he's been he he works for the mill mm-hmm. he, he may be a part owner of the mill but at any rate he called me on the phone and said you know we have the space for you and uh, you know I immediately forwarded that uh, call on to um, on to my supervisor and to the um, uh, CFO at the time Michelle Taylor um, and uh, you know, we we went down and we looked at the space and needed a lot of work. Uh, and in the meantime, there was the option for another space uh, closer to the museum that we that we began to look at. But it, it was so complicated because while that is a vast open space, uh, it still wasn't big enough. It's just not big enough. We need 400 feet of straight flat. Uh, floor space 400 feet and that's hard to find mm. and um so by and by uh, we realized that the kilburn mill site was uh was the place for us and um and the work was done to to renovate it and you know i must say that the proprietors of, of kilburn mill you know they did a superb job getting that space prepared and and ready and they worked very closely very cooperative very professional uh, and it's you know it looks really nice you know when you when you go into the space it feels natural and it, and it feels good and and you really can enjoy yourself if you don't mind climbing the fifty three steps so there's fifty three steps I know that because I climbed those <laughs> steps uh, <laughs> but there's a wonderful elevator also with a really friendly elevator man there's a, there's a great freight elevator the elevator is cool isn't it yes. yep I used to operate one of those when I worked in some mills in the past I want to give you a quotation from Herman Melville. So I always like to do quotations on this show, ladies and gentlemen. This is the opening line from Moby Dick. Some years ago, never mind how long precisely, having little or no money in my purse and nothing particular to interest me on shore, I thought I would sail about a little and see the watery part of the world. (laughs) And I thought that was a great opening quotation for us to have on the radio show today. I, I think an important thing to note speaking of uh, Melville, is uh, the importance of New Bedford in the world back at his time and at Benjamin Russell's time. And maybe, Michael, you could speak to that a little bit. I think that it's also really important to point out that Herman Melville and Benjamin Russell sailed from sailed down the Cushion River the same year, 1841. So mm-hmm. Uh, so Russell's voyage on the Kutchasoff and uh, Melville's voyage on the Akushan at Fairhaven um, both took off in the same year. And I call that the 1840s. I personally call that the, um, the, the cultural height of, of Yankee whaling because of the incredible amount of really wonderful art that came out of uh, out of uh, out of the fishery, out of scrimshaw and and paintings and uh, and whaleman's illustrations and things of that sort. New Bedford uh, was the was undeniably the uh, center of uh, of whaling in the world at that time, and Americans had 
focused on hunting sperm whales in the early 18th century. And this was a, this was a relatively new, in whaling history, uh, endeavor or adventure to sail out into the deep ocean, target sperm whales, kill sperm whales, um, cut them in, cut their heads off, bail the spermaceti out of their nose, strip the blubber, boil it out on shipboard. And so that technology changed whaling uh, and enabled Americans to to secure this highly specialized cargo of sperm oil and begin focusing on these pelagic voyages that went out for uh, for a long time you know shipboard triworks enabled these ships to stay at sea and produce a commodity they were factories and uh, seaports like nantucket and like the the deep water port of the akushnet river were for a variety of sort of lack of a better term, geopolitical reasons, uh, havens for people who had fewer options. So the people that settled on the Outer Cape and on Nantucket and in the South Coast were Quakers, they were Baptists, they were they were Protestants of a type that were not welcome elsewhere by a puritanical uh, New England, Boston. And these people pursued... Uh, maritime trades relentlessly and extremely well, and New Bedford rose uh, rose to the uh, rose to prominence after the War of 1812. Uh, it, it surpassed the, the New Bedford fleet surpassed the Nantucket fleet late in the 1820s uh, because you know the Nantucket fleet focused exclusively on sperm whales, and, and Nantucket the, had a tougher harbor to get into, didn't well, it? We'll get to that in a second. Okay, so. Nantucketers focused exclusively on sperm whales. New Bedford agents focused on uh, on black whales as well as sperm whales, and so there was a bone trade in in the in the baleen of uh, animals that we commonly term today right whales, uh, but were termed you know, were called you know whalemen called them black whales, um, and you know New Bedford voyages could fill up their wharves with this with this whale oil which was cheap and there was a lot of it and then they could also catch some sperm whales and 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 feed that uh that 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 important market um but in the mid in the early 1820s new bedford uh agents made the decision that they were going to send their ships sperm whaling and when those ships returned uh there were more of them uh, than the Nantucket vessels, and they just they it, 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 New Bedford simply excelled. Uh, and getting to your point, Tenny, uh, it was very very difficult as time went on for Nantucketers to keep up with with the uh, with the successes of New Bedford because the harbors are so different. There was a sandbar across the harbor in in Nantucket, and larger vessels, three hundred tons, had a hard time crossing the bar. And in New Bedford, you could. You know, you live in, you know, New Bedford, mm-hmm. you know, you know sure. five days out of the week, the wind blows out of the southwest and two days out of the week, it blows out of the north. And it's a sheltered harbor. So you can sail right up. And then when the when the wind is fair, you sail right down the harbor. And, uh, and you know, there were there were factories, it was land based, you know, there's plenty of timber and there and and everything that you needed stone you don't have to carry stone out on a shipboard out to Nantucket to do stuff you've got, you know, you can just do it right there at home. So it's it's really safe to say, and I think it's accurate to say, that the whole whaling business, the whole whaling industry, 
really created enormous economic prosperity for our whole area. Everything from shipbuilding to oil from the whales and Absolutely so forth. no doubt about it. And not only that, I read recently that because of the voyages that the whalemen took all around the world, they became sort of ambassadors, maybe not the best ambassadors, but they initiated trade and made contact with a lot of different cultures around the world too, didn't they? It's true they did. And – you know, again, this gets a little bit back to this to this Quaker um, kind of mentality that the Quaker <laughs> Quaker merchants didn't want their masters spending a lot of money in popular ports, and so they told them to go. You know, as long as long as there's there's no violent natives, you can you know go to these you know out of the way places to get your you know vegetables and and fresh water and firewood and stuff, uh, and avoid the port charges you know uh, of places like you know Talcahuano and, and Rio Janeiro and places like that. Now that being said, Yankee whalers still visited all of these places uh, at, to the so frequently that that consuls, American consuls were established in these ports. This is very, very important sure for is. American history. Mm-hmm. It's how we created our political influence around the world and very strong beginnings. We're going to pursue this topic and more matters in, in just a few minutes after a short break. We're talking with Michael Dyer, the curator of maritime history at the New Bedford Whaling Museum. We have a lot more to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about Scrimshaw. And I want to ask you some questions about pornographic Scrimshaw when we return Stay tuned. And welcome back to MoneyWise, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. Thank you so much for listening. We're so pleased to be talking about the spectacle in New Bedford. You must see the grand panorama of a whaling voyage around the world. It's located at one, at uh, 127 West Rodney French Boulevard in the Kilburn, Kilburn Mill. Uh, it's on the fourth floor. It's free. It's only going to be here until about the first week in October, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that and a few other things. Just Welcome back, Attorney Tenny Lance. Thank you very much. Just a quick question for you. Is it open every day? Seven days a week. Wow. And I think it's like 9 to 5, I believe. 9 to 5, hours. that's right. And at 2 o'clock every day during the week, there's a curator tour, so you can, you can get a, Oh, that's good to you know. You can get in-depth uh, interpretation from a museum staff member. And how long does the curator tour take? My first one took two and a half hours because I talked about everything. My second one took two hours. <laughs> so, We've got to go uh, and do that, but right? Most, most curators will, 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 will talk for about 40, 40 minutes, 45 minutes. You know. Well, you come to the right place this morning to uh, talk about this show. Um, and welcome to Sunday Morning. We are, as we mentioned earlier, talking with Michael Dyer, curator of Maritime History. The Whaling Museum is a fascinating place. If you haven't been there for a while, ladies and gentlemen, the Whaling Museum in New Bedford is a world-class museum. It's not just a local museum. If you haven't been there, you need to go there. We've, we've done events there. We've sponsored events in the past. So this past weekend, um, a week ago today, Tenny and I went to visit the panorama for the first time. And just a reminder, it's uh, 1,275 feet long. It's the longest piece of art in America. You have to see this. If you have any love or interest at all for New Bedford, the Azores, um, the 
ports in Brazil. Cape Verde. Cape Verde. Uh, you must come and see the panorama. The South Pacific Islands are just beautiful in this. So um, when I came back from visiting the panorama this past Sunday, I picked up the Standard Times and I read a letter to the editor from Amanda McMullen, who's the president and CEO of New Bedford Whaling Museum. And as I read her letter, I said to Tenny, you know, we really need to talk about this on the radio. We need to really make people more aware of what a wonderful thing the museum is and what a wonderful thing this exhibit is. And so far, she said, at least 20,000 visitors from all around the area, all around America probably, have come to see this. It's in our hometown. Um, It hasn't been displayed for probably 50 years or more in New Bedford. It may never be displayed again. I think one of the interesting things, Michael, that has been done is that the whole thing has been meticulously photographed and digitized so you can actually see a digital exhibit as well. Oh, my gosh, yes. I got a big call out to my colleague, Michael Lapides, who's the... Uh, who's the director of digital initiatives, and he managed that digital photography. And, and the scholarship that was done on this painting could not have been done without that digital photography. Could not have been done because the painting's in these rolls, and it was rolled up mm-hmm. after the conservation. You know, after the work was done on the after after Kate uh, and Charlotte, uh, Kate Tarleton and Charlotte Hamlin are the, were the textile conservators, and after they, you know, did the meticulous work that they did. Uh, on the on the cloth, uh, the the painting is was was stored. So, you know, it, the photography uh, enabled us to look at at things. Photography, in many ways, is better than your eyes. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the digital, you know, the, the, these these high resolution photographs allow you to zoom in very closely and examine things in detail, which is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant which you know one of the reasons that that book is as good as it is is that we were all you know the people the curators who worked on the project were all able to examine it uh in, in very closely and that that's a, that's that's a very important thing one of the things that's offered uh, at the exhibition uh is you can buy a two book package and it's very reasonable i think it was about 32 dollars including tax i was really surprised and i said is that for both of them and they're bound together in some cellophane or something but um one they're they're called a spectacle in motion and one has uh, a lot of individual pictures in it and a lot of scholarship and stories about uh, how this was put together and um it's just an amazing book by itself they're beautiful um they're soft cover bound and the other one is even more interesting i think it's called the spectacle in motion the grand panorama of a whaling voyage around the world and this is a flip book. So you start from the back and you flip the pages the way you do sometimes if you flip a magazine. And it starts out with the pictures of New Bedford and and you just eventually head out of the harbor and then you head across the sea and then you land in the Azores and you see all these beautiful scenes of the Azorean um, hills and mountains and villages um, and Cape Verde and it's spectacular. Um, it's worth the money. Um, we actually bought two sets of this as well. We bought one for us and one to give uh, to our uh, son-in-law, who's a descendant of one of the earlier whale captains, Oz. So it was fun, wasn't it, Tenny? It was wonderful. You know, when I first got to know New Bedford and first looked at the Whaling Museum and, and went in, I thought, 
gee, whaling was such an aggressive, active, masculine sport. Uh, I call it a sport. It was an industry. But, but the pictures were all static. And what this does is it brings you back to what this artist could do in the 1840s to make whaling move and be real. Uh, someday I would love to see this thing run through like it was on the rolls and, and actually uh, produced as a, a movie or something. So one of the other things that Amanda McMullen said in her letter to the uh, editor, which was published on August 19th, was this is arguably our most significant artifact, this panorama is. And it was valued uh, in the 60s at 25000 or something like that. I, I read that in the book the other night that the the appraiser who worked it and looked at this back then thought it wasn't worth very much was one of the lesser uh, artifacts because it was decaying and what do you do with it when it's 1,200 feet Sure, and Benjamin Russell is not widely acknowledged as being a fine artist. Most uh, most collectors and and you know, art historians would view him more as as a folk artist, uh, and not as a fine artist. But you know, as you know, f- from my point of view, uh, I my point of view as a curator at the Whaling Museum, not my personal point of view. My professional point of view is that I view these these works as documents. So, in many ways, I don't care if it's fine art or not. I want to know where it gets us. Where does this artwork get us? Uh, and in many, many cases, you know, especially with New Bedford artists, they um, they get us a long way. <laughs> you, they document things. And in the panorama, you know, one of the great things about the panorama is is that he had they had to get it right. So, you know, Purrington and Russell had to, they had to get it right that their audience, their initial audience is going to look at them uh, with a, with a very um, aggressive, as you say, eye. Uh, it's got to be right. And, you know, there were a couple of artists in New Bedford, uh, Albert, uh, Albert Von Beest and, and R. Swain Gifford. These, these fellows had never, had never gone whaling and they, and they created a couple of prints, right, in the 1850s. And they were so bad that they had to give the give them to <laughs> Benjamin Russell to correct. So there are three prints. There are two that are not very good, and then the third one, which is superb, and that was the one that Benjamin Russell corrected. <laughs> I, I was interested when you you look at the detail of the panorama. A lot of the people don't have eyes or or mouths or any facial features because that wasn't what he was trying to portray. And it was almost getting into the Monet uh, <laughs> mode of impressionism and all that. It was well, it's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I should mention that the uh, panorama was created actually by two New Bedford artists, Benjamin Russell and Caleb Purrington. And I guess Benjamin Russell was the lead, and he had done all the sketches on his whaling voyage that – the panorama was created from is that accurate it's true but by the same token russell um really prominently acknowledged the work of purrington we don't know much about the creation of this paint of this painting we don't have any any there's there's not a speck from benjamin russell on it and the only thing we have is is 
a, is, is one illustration in, in a Purrington sketchbook that shows a, a version of the island of Juan Fernandez. And what can you glean from that? I'm not sure. I mean, you know, you know, we have there's so much, so many examples of Benjamin Russell's paintings of ships that you can see his hand in the in the ships. Mm-hmm. But who painted the landfalls? I'm <laughs> not sure. The Azores <laughs> is particularly problematic mm-hmm. uh, yes. because, it as near as I could tell, neither of those fellows ever saw the Azores. Oh, interesting. <laughs> but you know, but so many whalemen did, and. The level of detail in in Horta Fayal it really is, <clears throat> excuse me, really is incredible. And uh, likewise, Lajes de Pico in, on Pico Island uh, is also really uh, exactly right, which is charming to think about. How who what were their sources? You know, who did they talk to? Did did other whalemen bring their journals by and say, you know, this is this is this is what it looks like, uh, and this is what I remember? Or were these in fact, you know? Portuguese sailors who who could very easily say, you know, draw a picture of, of, of what these places look like. I have to give you another quotation from my dear friend Herman Melville. <laughs> we cannot live only for ourselves. A thousand fibers connect us with our fellow men. <laughs> and um, we are thrilled this morning to be talking with Michael Dyer. He's the... Uh, Curator of Maritime History at the New Bedford Whaling Museum. By the way, I'm going to give you my tax tip of the week a little early this week. If you want a nice tax deduction, make a contribution to the Old Dartmouth Historical Society. It's tax deductible. They're a 501c3 organization. And you will be doing your part to help promote these wonderful things like the panorama. Uh, This is a truly professional museum, ladies and gentlemen. You need to visit it. And you need to visit the panorama. Michael, I promised everybody before the break that we're going to talk about scrimshaw and pornographic scrimshaw. So I know the Whale Museum has a great collection of scrimshaw. And a couple of years ago, I remember that um, they were going to have an exhibition of scrimshaw. And I guess they do that periodically. Um, And it's nice that we've got all the scrimshaw that shows scenes of ships and things of that nature, but these were men on long voyages, and they did things other than ships scenes. They created pornographic images. And the reason I'm telling you that is because I have a friend who's down in Greenwich, Connecticut, and I visited his house, which is a semi-mansion in Greenwich, and he has a, an enormous collection of scrimshaw and at the time the Whaling Museum was doing their exhibition, I sent an email off to somebody, but I didn't get a response at the time. And I said, I have a friend who has a great collection of pornographic scrimshaw, and it shows people in various scenes and positions and naked and everything else. Because if you think of what men might do on a long ship, they might be drawing pictures of you know, women in undress and things of that nature. They weren't just doing ship scenes. They had... Other things as well. So if if there's ever an appropriate time to do another exhibition, what my thinking was you you have a closed room that only adults can enter and see, but it really depicts some of the things that they were working on besides just doing little pretty pictures of ships. Hmm. Let's well, get back to the panorama. Um, but no, but well, but, I would like to comment on that. It's an important part of what they were doing. Is that we have the largest collection of scrimshaw in the world. 
Wow. We have the largest collection of Whaleman's art in the world. We hold zero examples of pornographic scrimshaw. Interesting. There was, there were, we have two relief carved um, nudes, tasteful nudes. And that is it. That mm. is all. Um, my colleague, uh, the you know the Scrimshaw world expert, you know Stuart Frank, um, we've uh, and I you know we've discussed this many many times, especially the Scrimshaw Collectors Weekend, which happens annually. Okay, uh, we see Scrimshaw from all over the world and all many many collectors, and uh, you know the the idea is was it created and thrown overboard or was it never created? And uh, I can tell you that I have seen. One piece that's held at Mystic Seaport that has been authenticated mm-hmm. that we know for absolute fact is, in fact, Whaleman's art. Scrimshaw, you've got to be able to watch it with Scrimshaw because a lot of people uh, create this stuff, and uh, many of them are fakes. Many sure. of them are legitimate modern art, you know, carved by artists on sperm whale teeth, you know, in the 20th century, uh, and it's legitimate modern art. And, you know, it takes a it takes a really a real discerning eye to, 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 to pick out what is an authentic piece and what isn't. Well, what I will do is off air, I'll give you information on how to contact this individual, and I'll give you a letter of introduction. And uh, maybe somebody could go visit and take a look at his collection Fantastic. and see if it's authentic or if it's not that authentic. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and we'll leave that subject for now. But um, coming back to the uh, panorama, it's, it's not going to be here for um, a lot longer. It um, it goes from now until October 8th. It's free. It's open to the public. It's open 9 to 5, seven days a week. Uh, you can get information on the Whaling Museum uh, website. It's called um, www.whalingmuseum.org. Uh, you can get information there. You can call our office. You can call Tenny at 508-998-8800. She'll give you information, or somebody in our office will. But the one thing you must do between now and October 8th, you've got to visit the panorama. And I hope you have some record crowds as a result of this little show being broadcast. I'm sure Michael. we will. I thought it was October 1st. I don't. No, it's so, uh, right here in writing. Okay, because something I saw on the weekend. October 8th. Okay, um, good. I don't know what the plans are, and I guess I won't get into that. But maybe Taking the panorama have... down is going to be as challenging as putting it up. I'm sure. And what was the condition of it when you folks decided to do this wonderful display? It wasn't awful. Um, again, it was just, it's distemper paint on cotton sheeting, and so the, there had been some treatments done to the painting in the 1960s, in the early 60s, but nonetheless – that distemper paint was simply falling off. It's powdery. What and does so, that mean, distemper? Well, paint? it's it's kind of a it's it's like a, uh, like an egg, uh, an egg based like sort of like a pastel or an egg based paint that you know once it dries, it's not an oil paint, uh, and once it once it dries, it uh, it, it will it it can fall off uh fall off of the, of the medium that it's you know the substrate that it's on you must have had to keep touching it up when they were unrolling and rolling it then well you know that's another of the fascinating things about looking at the actual object you got to love the actual object mm. you know being a museum guy i love the real thing sure. and you can see the repairs 
and the, the, that, that were made by the artist in all likelihood while on the road. I mean, there are some things that are obviously in Benjamin Russell's hand and patches that were, that were made. But what we had to do was we had to consolidate that paint. And so Jordan Burson, uh, who's our director of collections, managed the process of, of uh, spraying every square inch of the panorama with a, with a, with a, uh, with a gelatin solution uh, that seized the, the paint uh, in place so it won't fall off. So there was that. And the, but then there were, you know, there was wear and tear. There were tears. There were rips. There were separations. There were seams. There were, you know, all kinds of, of cloth issues that Kate and Charlotte uh, systematically tackled. Uh, and in the end, you know, we have a really beautifully conserved piece of American art. Well, we we encourage everybody to see it. Um, it's, it's sort of like when you first go into the room on the fourth floor of the Kilburn Mill that your mouth sort of drops open. You <laughs> say, holy cow, look at this thing. Um, it's, it's truly amazing. Here's another quotation from our dear friend uh, Herman Melville. A whale ship was my Yale College and my Harvard. Uh, great quotation from Herman Melville. He, yeah, I mean, that was just, there were specific references there. And what he was talking about there was um, – he was talking about Richard Henry Dana, Jr., who wrote Two Years Before the Mast and, and was the great Harvard sure. graduate, and uh, and Francis Allen Olmsted, who wrote Incidents of a Whaling Voyage uh, and who was a Yale man. His father was a, uh, a, a Yale professor. So, you know, Melville was, was talking about these two major authors. Two Years Before the Mast and Incidents of a Whaling Voyage were important books at the time. And so here's Melville saying, you know, I haven't gone to college. I went whaling. Uh, and, uh, you know, Melville's Moby Dick is a masterpiece. Well, one of the things we did in preparing materials for today is um, look for nautical quotations that we thought would be uh, useful. Uh, Joshua Slocum, uh, who made a very important voyage, the days pass happily with me wherever my ship sails. Good quotation. Um, what happens to the panorama after it gets taken down and rolled up? What happens to it then? The, the museum is in discussions with uh, a number of venues that could take the exhibition. None of those venues have been decided upon. Mm-hmm. So immediately in October, the painting will come down. It'll go back on its rolls. It will be stored uh, on its shelving, on its permanent shelving in the museum, um, which just happens to be in my office. So I share the office with my office with the rolls of the panorama. Uh, so I got my eyes on it all the Good. time. Um, but then it, it's gonna. It, it will travel. It, it's it will travel in the future. Okay. But it may not be on display in New Bedford for a very long time again. That is true. This is a major effort to put this on display. That is true. And it, yes, and it is a bona fide, real deal, great thing. I mean, there's no two ways about it. You go and see the panorama, uh, you will be, you will be seeing something. Mm -hmm. And you'll be proud of your city, even more proud than you may be now. Um, one of the things that I read about, which was kind of interesting, is that there's a major chunk of the panorama that's never been located. It's missing. Yeah. Is it possible that that missing piece might be somewhere in somebody's attic in New Bedford? You know, that is my fervent hope. <laughs> my fervent hope is that somebody fell in love with the New Zealand section mm-hmm. and cut it off and has it somewhere in their house. 
the, his sketchbook, his journal is something else that, that, that hasn't turned up. And I believe and hope desperately, uh, fervently that it's out there in the world somewhere. So here's an appeal to our listeners. If you happen to have an attic with old things or an old commercial building, or if you have any idea where the old sketchbooks might be, or perhaps the missing piece of the panorama, you will become a hero at the Whaling Museum. Hero. <laughs> and seriously, uh, if you think you may have something like that, it's amazing how old things will turn up sometimes. Well, we've got about two minutes left before we end our morning, and I just want to say a really special thank you to uh, Michael Dyer, Curator of Maritime History at the New Bedford Whaling Museum. I'd like to say a real special thank you to the director and all the people who have worked so hard to make this a reality. I mean, this wasn't just you putting this together, Michael. This is a whole team of really professional people who did this. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, you owe it to yourself, your family. Uh, Go and see this. You can take photographs. You can't take flash photographs. And I'm going to go back with the camera and take some regular photographs. Uh, It's one of the most amazing things that I've simply ever seen. Here's a quotation from one of my other favorite people, Mark Twain. Twenty years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things that you didn't do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sails, explore, dream, discover. Visit the panorama. You've got to see the panorama. Uh, 127 West Rodney French Boulevard, seven days a week, nine to five. This very important exhibit, this very important piece of our history is going to end on October 8th. Make the time to see it for yourself and your family. And thank you so much for listening to Money Wise. We'll be with you again next week. And thank you, Michael Dyer. Thank you, Attorney Tenny Lance. Thank you, Michael. You are very welcome.